Robert. Joseph. How are you? I'm well. Yeah? I probably sound a lot louder than you because I'm like on the mic for some reason. I don't know why. You, are you saying I should lean in a little bit? Or I should lean back. One or the yeah. Other. Welcome to Beyond Sunday, Joel and Rob's podcast. Welcome. I'll just repeat you. What do you have for us today? Yes, I am the theme song guy today, uh-huh. and this is an all-time great theme song, so I'm excited about sharing it, but it's also a theme song of what is now um, a kind of a... Well, the show has taken on a very different light than it once knew, because mm. its hero is a pariah. Yeah, I have an idea. Yeah. So, just to share that. This is about the theme song itself. And the show, I would note, was a culture-breaking kind of yeah, show. I think I know what you're talking about. It's a great show. But it can no longer be separated from its... Yeah, I can't think of the name. I, I know what you're talking about, I'm pretty sure. Oh, you definitely do. I can't think of the name of the show right now, though. Do you know the dude's name? I know. That's it. Oh, yeah, that's it. Sorry. Yes. Mm. I was thinking something different. But this is a great theme song. Yeah, I forgot. That's what this, it was called. This is yeah. a great theme song. And we never did it because we knew. Yeah. yeah. You know who is singing it? It's all a cappella, it's all voice. Is it one of the actors? And, from the bo- show? and bodily percussion. No, it's Bobby McFerrin. Ah. Don't worry, but happy. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's a, it's a great theme song, isn't it? It is. Oh, love the theme it song. It is. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason why it's taken so long for us to... To get here. To get to this moment. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and and I, the show had a whole lot of different theme songs across its span, did. and a lot of them were were odd and different. Mm. And I guess this was odd and different in its own way. But yeah. I mean, it's Bobby McFerrin; it's incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that one. We actually haven't actually named it. <laughs> you still haven't named the dude. <laughs> the show. Well, I mean, we. I mean, it's just. Uh, I know. Ugh. I know. Just because he doesn't. It's such a difficult thing to even name and talk about. I agree. And you don't want to bring his name up. Yep. Yes. So, we are uh, at week one of our current podcast series, where we are studying, we're exploring, this book by Bronnie Ware. My Vanna Whiting wasn't good enough? No, it wasn't You had to touch it. The top five regrets of the dying. And we teased it last week, uh, and this week we're going to talk about the first, the top regret. So again, Bronnie, as she um, was, is a a palliative care nurse, as she visited with those that were in the last stages of life, Mm -hmm. trying to help them um, be not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually um, to kind of tend to those concerns within those three she slowly developed these themes of people as they looked back on their life, these regrets um, that they had. And so the first one, the top one, this was the one that she found to be 
um, uh, that was m- most often shared with her was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. So when we were doing this last week and I went through all five, uh, as I went through all five, they all they all immediately um, connect to me. Like mm-hmm. each one I go, ooh. Ooh. Where is that true within me? Ooh. Yeah. And that's why this has been... I, I've kept these Wait, five... What, what do you do? Ooh. Yeah. Uh, but I looked over at you, and you were a little emotional. Like, there was one in particular, maybe, and we don't have to get there today, but I could tell, yeah, these connected with you, too. Oh, yeah. These these got inside you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know which one got me particularly emotional, mm-hmm. but you know me well, so I'm sure you saw it. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So a couple things before we jump into this one. Um, first, uh, the goal of this series of us discussing these is ultimately that this would be a life-giving conversation for us. Amen. So we're talking about people at the end of life having these regrets, mm-hmm. and so there is this morbidity to it but at the same time it's also kind of pushes us in the opposite direction to think about okay how can we live into these now how do we learn we have life to live that is still in front of us um and so i've talked about me and that uh, as i've hit my 40s these and i think my mortality continues to i'm just more aware of it than I, i i used to be i my ears perk up when I hear a news story of someone around my age who, who died. Um, uh, yeah. And I go, oh, that's, I'm that person's age. Or I'm older than that person. Yeah, right older there. and especially when it's, um, y- you know, someone you're close to and have a relationship with or new, you know, it's, it hits home in a just yeah. a, a remarkable way. Yep. So there's something life-giving about these, but also I don't want to lose the fact that there's also these are these regrets were connected. They're connected to death. They're connected to our mortality, and there's also at the same time something very healthy to um, to recognize death. It's it's something that, especially in our current Western culture, I think we don't talk about it enough um, and in this way um, that death will happen it's a certainty it's a certainty so for me and and this is just me I will often have a better day when bouncing around in the back of my head is some kind of um, some kind of uh, um, owning the fact that I will die one day. Carpe diem, right? <laughs> Seize the day. Yeah, there, there. To me, there's something freeing about it. That, yeah, I will die, um, uh, and there is life to be lived in the meantime. Does that make sense? Does have have, have or maybe have you resonated with that at all? Because that's something that I have resonated with, and maybe this comes from 
me working as a chaplain in a hospital where I was around oh, yeah. death oh, a lot. Yeah, that's um, that's very impactful. Like it, um, it changed how I looked at life because I was with people that who had just died or with families who were gathered around right. their loved one who had died. And it was the first time where I was in the presence of death really ever up to that point. And it's, it's changed how I look at life. Oh, absolutely. I, I also, I didn't have the intensive um, year long that you did. I, I had a much shorter three month period as a chaplain, um, something our denomination requires of, of all pastors. Yeah. But, um, it absolutely, when you become aware of the fragility of life and its um, finitude, right? Yes. Uh, it does shape your perspective of the world because one of the things that humans are remarkably good at um, are our defensive uh, techniques that, innate, that, that that are constantly kind of trying to come up and shield us from our radical vulnerability. Yes. Our, our bodily vulnerability, our emotional vulnerability. Uh, you know, we're really skilled um, in ways we don't even understand at using our defense mechanisms to shield us from that. And when, you know, it's a, a lot of us have had, you know, experiences that have just ripped those defense mechanisms off and forced us come, to come face to face with the finitude of life. Um, and that's a healthy, uh, and I, what we're here to argue is that that's a healthy, yeah. uh, it, it, when it doesn't happen in a traumatic way, let me say that, when yes. it doesn't happen in a traumatic way, mm -hmm. it, it is often a very healthy experience. That's a good caveat. Because yeah. uh it's all. It's almost always better to live life in truth. Yeah. You know, not being shielded from the things that you just would rather not see. It's it's much better to actually see life in all of its fullness and all of its finitude. It helps me to lean more into gratitude every day. Mm -hmm. It helps me lean more into the present moment of sitting around a dinner table with my family, those kind of moments. You know, when, when, when I recognize the finitude of life, I go, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. look all that is around me today that yesterday I was not aware of at all. I didn't stop and give thanks for that. Um, yeah. So I think there there is something healthy about recognizing our finitude. Yes. Yeah, it, my own personal life, the finitude has kind of gotten masked in a different way, and you know this, but and I've shared this here before. It's it's masked around my kids mm -hmm. and their aging, and uh, my yeah. oldest is about to go off to college next year. Yeah, and that has been a perpetual kind of ticking clock yeah. in my head, in which I'm measuring life, not so much in terms of death, but in terms of you know, um, immediate family. Sure. Uh, yeah. and then the other thing that's going on with both of us is our aging parents. Yeah. Um, and seeing that and the effects of, um, just breaking bodies and, you know, broken health and, the inevitable, uh, truth of life is, is birth, life, decline, and death. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're here to talk about it and own it and, and explore with Bronnie 
how we can uh, learn lessons from the dying in order to live life more fully. Exactly. So let's, let me read it again. Regret number one. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. So when I hear this one, I immediately hear a lot of shoulds. I should do this. Um, I, um, this is what people would expect of me. I hear these, these shoulds that can dominate Mm -hmm. our life. They, I I can hear them in my own life many ways. Um, uh, so what about this resonates with you? What about this regret speaks to you? Uh, well, I'll be honest when I first read the regret, cause I, I read about these in an article, um, that, I think Bronnie wrote and that was later turned into a book. Correct. I, I wasn't picturing the major example that she gave through mm-hmm. a woman named Grace. Mm-hmm. Um, it was essentially spousal abuse is, is the example. Yes. Um, it's not, I don't think they use the word, of, maybe she does, abuse, but it, it, it's control, strict, rigid, emotional control in which Grace is, is um, does not feel free to be who she is and to do what she wants to do. And life is just too short not to be who you are and do what you want to do with obvious boundaries, right? Um, You know, uh, legal and moral boundaries being Mm -hmm. assumed here. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And I thought, wow, what a profound example. because that's something that I think happens in a whole lot of contexts is whether it's parent to child or uh, partners or simply cultural roles that get, uh, you know, assumed and passed down generations. There's so many aspects of control in which people don't feel like they have the freedom to be who they are or to do what they want to do, whether that's something as simple as taking a trip or uh, going to uh, college or school or, uh, you know, in, in, in many cultures, wearing what you want to wear. Uh, it's, it's remarkable how, how many different aspects society has of trying to control, uh, people and how limiting and, Life draining, life sucking. Mm-hmm. That is. Mm-hmm. But I'll also share when I when I, I I bring up the article because when I first heard it, I immediately thought of um, abused children and oppressed populations. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. like children who are forced to grow up um, in a really rigid family system that simply denies them their yeah. dignity and their integrity. Yeah. And then also, um, like the LGBTQ plus, uh, population who were told that, you know, um, who you are is, uh, a choice or who you are is wrong or not beautiful just as you are, you know, and then of course there's all kinds of societal, uh, prejudices and bigotries in which, um, we as middle-class white men don't understand but you know thankfully we both are very well aware they exist Mm -hmm. i mean understand from a very personal perspective but people who are brought up to you know wishing that their skin wasn't the 
color that it was. Their hair wasn't the color that it was, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I like that you brought up more of the larger, broad categories. Um, Because when I heard it, I went to more of the individual um, Mm. questions that we can ask ourselves of, as an example, what do I want out of life? You know, so Mm. more in the kind of passive to assertive um, line, um, uh, I can sometimes often, we've talked about this, I can lean more to the passive side. And so it forced the pleasing me, side, right? Yes. Yes. It, it forced me to be willing to, to shift the needle a little bit to the more assertive side and be okay asking that question, what do I want out of life? Like, what, what is it that's within me that, um, that I fear I will be regretting when I mm. get to the end? Like, I think that's why I've enjoyed these so much is I, I started to picture myself at the end <laughs> um, uh, with my life coming to its completion here on earth. And starting to look at each regret and go, okay, will I be, will I be asking this one at that time? And as I started to think about it, I said, yeah, yeah, I, I could, I could be at that point going, I wish, I wish I had had the courage to mm. live a life more true to who, to who I am, but maybe who, who I know I want to be deep down. Right, but mm. are struggling to kind of let that uh, leaning towards the um, passive side, or more, more who I should be mm-hmm. to who I really deep down want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, question also is, who do I want to become? You know, like mm. so. That's more the individual mm. look at it, but. When when I'm when I'm there at the end, kind of looking back and looking at my life, um, looking back on who I was, who I the kind of person I became throughout my life, is that will I be comfortable? You know, will I kind of go okay? I will. I, you have been true to yourself. Did I did I strive to be who I felt deep down that yeah. I wanted to be? Yeah. Um, well and, and that's, it's subjective for everybody, right? Yeah. But there is, um, uh, yeah. I like that you went to those broad categories that are, you are so right on those. And then I dove into some of these individual well, subjective categories. I think Bronnie intends it more individually if, if, if I read it correctly. It's just because when I first read The Regret... That's kind of where I went. But when you dig into the chapter, I definitely think it is as you describe it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the point is that it's really important for us to find the strength. Because for some and for some people, it's easier than others, right? Uh, but it's really important that we find the strength to, to be who we were created to be. And that is very different. It's like, this is gospel, right? That is fundamentally different than who other people say we should be. 
Absolutely. Like this is where this screams gospel to me. Yes. Um, and this is the big picture too, but it gets personal. Uh, whether it's people saying you should be A or B or C or D, um, you have this talent, so of course you should pursue this profession. Or, you know, um, well, you're, you, you, what would your mother say about that? I mean, there's all kinds of expressions that try and control and limit. But the gospel, um, the gospel in this is that God knows exactly who we are. God knows our every strength and God knows our every weakness. And God calls us beloved and precious. God clothes us with grace. God sees us as righteous. Uh, and so we need not fill a single other person's expectations of us. Yeah. We need to pursue uh, and be and or become, yeah. as you say well, who God already knows we really are. It, it, it even got me thinking about um, taking just taking risks in life um, and being okay with with, yeah. with, with, with failing. You know, yeah. I would much rather get to the end and go, wow, I gave that a shot. I failed spectacularly. <laughs> like, it was a disaster. Yeah. But I gave Amen. it a shot Amen. instead of getting to the end going, I never even, I never, I never allowed myself to just try it. Yeah. And in trying it, I figured out, yeah. no, that wasn't for me, or maybe that was for me. And I, you know, and I, I, I took a leap of faith, you know, I mean, that's, that's, sad. that's, that's it. That's like being, I think that that's the true to yourself yeah. is, is being even okay with trying something and having it fail spectacularly, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. And, and that's also, there's gospel in that too, of loved and accepted no matter amen you know like you sometimes you sometimes figure out how loved you are by failing spectacularly oh my gosh you know? isn't I that mean, true you really f that's where you actually get there so that's where you discover grace yeah right if you yeah. haven't effed up royally before yep. then you probably don't know grace yes uh, at its deepest, most profound that, level. That's the paradox of it. Right? In a nutshell, yes. Um, you have to mess up. You have to fail. You have to, whatever that looks like to you, to fully experience it. Yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and tasting something and learning you love it versus tasting something and learning you hate it, they're both equally effective lessons at life. And I think the point here is to to taste, to uncover what you like, to uncover what you don't like, right? Taste it. Uh, explore your desires, explore your interests, be who you are, not who people say you should be. Because who you are is already loved. Who you are is already claimed. I, I find this, I find them all, but this one right off the bat to be so inviting. And I love the phrase, true to myself. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be unpacked individually. Yeah. Um, but it's a huge invitation in that frame. And I would just take it one more step, Christians, and that is that it also means letting the people you love be who they are. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? Mm. Um, you know, the, the, this, I think, boils down to control. Yes. Uh, and... Uh, Letting ourselves be free of it and letting those we love be free of it. Yeah, that's a whole other podcast right there. Yeah. So I'm going to end today um, 
with uh, a poem by Mary Oliver. You know Mary Oliver at all? Not personally, but I yes, I know her, her work. I discovered her a little bit this summer. Um, she's not a Christian, um, uh, though listen to, I've listened to a couple interviews with her. She grew up Christian, but I don't know if she'd classify herself as that. Um, she loved the natural world, just died recently. Um, but uh, I've come to recently uh, read some, some of her poems. This one, when I read it, it just spoke to me. It's called The Journey. Mm. One day, you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do. Though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible, it was already late enough in a wild night, and the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voice behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice which you slowly recognized as your own that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing that you could do, determined to save the only life that you could save. Thanks for being with us, everybody. We will see you next week for regret number two.